Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Hey, y'all. I'm Bud Elliott, and this is Cover 3 College Football Summer School. We've done our research on the teams, and now we're bringing on the top team experts from the 24-7 Sports Network to help us fill in the blanks. Please follow us on Twitter at Cover3Podcast. That's Cover3Podcast. And leave us a five-star review on Apple and Spotify. All right. Class is in session. All right, guys. Welcome back into the Cover 3 podcast. This is Bud Elliott, and this is another edition of Summer School. And today, we're going to talk a little Virginia Tech. A lot of fun stuff happening there with new coach Brent Pry. And uh, to help us out, we're going to go to VT Scoop, the 24-7 Sports Virginia Tech affiliate. And we're going to bring on Doug Bowman, one of the best follows that I have in the Virginia Tech market. Doug, welcome to the show, man. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing well. Just uh, grinding through these summer schools and trying to learn as, as much as I possibly can about these teams. Um, Justin Fuente is finally out at, at Virginia Tech. Brent Price, and I got to say, I, I when he was hired, I really thought Fuente was was going to work, and it just you know sometimes you need a good reminder that coaching hires in college football are kind of a crapshoot. Uh, but they they go and get Brent Pry, the defensive coordinator from Penn State, who has a lot of experience in that region, I believe worked under Bud Foster uh, for a while. I, I assume he was pretty well received there. Yeah, I think it was a, it took a little getting used to, I'd say, or a little learning about his background and, and all he brings to the table. Uh, I, I know fans everywhere want the big name and then uh, initial, I would say that the initial reaction right after it was announced was a little uncertain, but as they looked into his background and saw the success he had at Penn State, um, as, as the defensive coordinator, linebackers coach there, um, and, and everything Penn State's done under Jim, James Franklin, I think that became uh, readily apparent how appealing that would be. And then, and then you touched on it the the connection he had the Virginia Tech uh, as a as a GA under under Frank Beamer and Bud Foster back in the mid nineties um, made him you know a pretty ideal candidate I think in terms of what Virginia Tech's looking for as far as a you know a blue collar do your job kind of kind of coach. No doubt about it. Uh, so we'll, we'll go ahead and start. Uh, last year, overall, the power ratings, Vegas uh, had him as like a top 70-ish team. I, I don't know how much I really trust that, just given some of the motivations last year and the ebbs and flows of, you know, will the coach stay, will he not, and some of the stuff that had gone on. But uh, offensively, uh, certainly is, is the side of the ball they struggled on a little bit more, 85th in total efficiency. Uh, they hire the offensive coordinator, I believe, from Georgia State, I think it was. Uh, Brad or, Glenn was the – Offensive coordinator at Georgia State. He's now quarterbacks coach and passing game coordinator. Got it. Okay, and then they get the the OC from Marshall. It's Tyler Bowen is the offensive coordinator. He's from. Okay. He was with the Jaguar. He was the Jaguars tight end coach last year, which was probably very interesting. That wow, that would have been a, a really uh, <laughs> really interesting time. Um, both guys who then have a background. At least Urban Meyer in college was a very QB run heavy guy, uh, and. Georgia State ran the heck out of the quarterback 
last year. And they go to the portal for a quarterback in, in Grant Wells, who transfers in from Marshall. Pretty good success rate numbers. Uh, honestly, like accuracy seemed okay, and yet somehow posted terrible touchdown-interception ratio, which doesn't really make sense if you look at the the more kind of foundational uh, metrics that, that we have. What what has been the uh, the progress he's made so far in Blacksburg? So he's been in a competition competition with uh, another transfer, Jason Brown from South Carolina. Uh, it looks like Wells is probably the leader in the clubhouse right now after the spring. Um, certainly had the better spring game from what we saw, although they miss they mismatched the teams there, so the offensive line was terrible for Brown, so you couldn't get anything from him. Um, but Wells looks like the favorite. Uh, you touched on it. He, he he has the tools, the physical tools to be to be a good starting quarterback, but the interception numbers are are the concern. Uh, saw it in the spring game, a couple questionable decisions, forced some balls, and he got lucky at to not throw a pick in the spring game. So uh, that that's the big question uh, going forward. It's, he seems to be on the right track, but ball security, taking care of the ball. Um, if Brent Pry decides he values that. It might be Brown's job, but uh, as we head into the and into the summer, I think Wells is probably the leader in the clubhouse. I, how would you describe uh, what the new offense is compared to the old in terms of you know scheme and, and also in any kind of tempo or, or you know run pass ratio stuff? We didn't see much of it this spring. What we saw um, during the spring game, they admittedly said they weren't showing much of anything, but it looked. I mean, it looks like your standard spread spread a lot of shotgun, a lot of three, four wide. Uh, they, they talk about how much they want to run the ball. Um, and, and you kind of feel that from if, if Brent Pry's Penn State experience says anything, that's, that's kind of the more balanced attack leaning on the run. Um, the question really is, is whether they have the personnel to do that. Uh, not, not a ton of returning production at the skill position. So uh, we'll see what it looks like going forward but i think it'll look like you know your standard run of the mill spread balanced run uh, you know everybody wants to run the ball but um that's that's what it looks to be trending towards so not a uh, n- not a team that you would circle as like a preseason hey they're going to be crazy up tempo or anything no i, do, I okay. don't think so um at receiver so they they lose turner to what graduation and robinson transferred to kentucky that that is concerning to me looking at, at this depth chart, given the number of targets that those guys combined for last year compared to like literally everybody else on the roster combined. Uh, but they get blue at a Temple, and I feel like if people didn't follow Temple last year, Temple's quarterback situation was an absolute disaster. Uh, they, they played, I think, three or four quarterbacks throughout the year. It was really tough to watch them, uh, especially <laughs> to bet on them. And like Blue's got to feel like he's just been freed up. And not that Wells is the best quarterback in the world, but uh, almost anything in college football would be better in that situation. Yeah, the goal the goal for Blue is to get back to those 2019 numbers he had uh, after that Temple's passing offense fell off a cliff. Uh, uh, so that's what he, he came to Blacksburg to do. He's clearly probably a top two receiver, um, given Virginia Tech's returning production. Caleb Smith, uh, I think, is the returning receiver. He had a 260 receiving yards last year, so there's not a there's certainly a lot of catches to be had for for a guy like Jaden Blue, um, if he can if he can make make do on that potential and get back to where he was in 2019. That's certainly the hope. Uh, other than that, there's there's not a ton of proven returning production, and I think that's one of the big stories for Virginia Tech is who's catching the ball, who's making the plays. Um, there's just not a lot that you can count on right there right now heading into the season. 
As far as the offensive line, uh, three of the four offensive linemen from last year, at least by snap count, are, are, are departed, it looks like. Um, how big of a concern do you have about the starters? And, and also, uh, if you could comment on the depth as well, I'm, I'm curious, when, when you lose that much, it seems like a lot. It's probably the biggest question facing Virginia Tech heading into the season. Uh, they feel decent about their first five, the top five guys, uh, but like decent's not all that great. And after that, one injury or one guy being ineffective could could really derail the season. Uh, Silas Jansey is a left ta- is a returning left tackle. He had a big spring, according to Brent Pry, but uh, from what we've seen to this point in his career, he's he struggles a little bit out wide. He's played right guard and right tackle up to that point. He's probably the best returning offensive lineman. Um, Jesse Hansen's going to slide in at left guard. He has not played much at all to this point in his Virginia Tech career. Uh, Caden Moore at right guard, promising but still young. Parker Clements at right tackle. He's um, going to be stepping in his first year as a full-time starter. After that, it's anybody's guess. They're going to be in the portal looking for one, two, maybe three offensive linemen this summer. Uh, I mentioned the spring game earlier. They split up the and mix, mixed and matched the rosters, but the top if you assume the starting offensive lines from the spring game were the top 10 offensive linemen, there were two or three walk-ons in the mix there. Um, so depth is a huge, huge concern. And it feels like one one injury or one player just not being as good as they they hoped for could, could really uh, derail the season. It, if I'm picking up what you're putting down, maybe not a ton of confidence that the offense takes a big leap in, in year one under Brent Pry. Feels, uh, feels like a question mark. Um, Wells... Wells looked good in the in the spring game. He looked like a, you know, an FBS starting quarterback. But um, not a lot returning at running back. Malachi Thomas had a had a really impressive three game, four game stretch there in the middle of last year. He's probably the the, the lead dog there. But you know, there's just, there's just not a lot of returning production, and there's a lot of questions around depth. I mean, if you, if your offensive line struggles, it's it's going to be a problem for sure. Uh, defensively, though. Given Brent Pry's reputation and what we saw last year out of them, I mean, they were 55th in overall defensive efficiency. Again, we're talking to Doug Bowman here of BT Scoop. I, I gotta say, I feel like, like this should be a lot better defense. I mean, up front, they lose Amari Barno, and then literally everybody else with retur- experience returns. Unless I'm missing somebody, it feels like they should be decent again at least they return a lot of guys that you kind of know what to expect uh Narelle pollard at defensive tackles his fourth year is a big time contributor ty garbett at defensive end same sort of thing uh tisdale and hollyfield at linebackers and then chamari connor on the back end at safety even even like cornerback dorian strong's basically played big time snaps um for the last three three seasons so you got a good base of um decent pretty dependable players i, I think the question is is there any more kind of juice left to squeeze out of them or, or, or are they just who they are? And if they're just, you know, a middle of the road defense, that might, that might be their ceiling. So that's the question for Brent Pry is like, does the Pry effect get them to re- elevate their play a little bit? Well, one of the areas that, that I'm really interested to watch in this, year, this year's team, just looking at what Pry did at Penn state and, and look at what, you know, what the Hokies did last year defensively. Uh, Pry was very much like, stop the run and stop the explosive pass play. And I think that was almost directly opposite of what the Hokies were good at. Like they were good at not allowing big run plays and they 
allowed a relatively low completion percentage, but then they also gave up quite a few bombs uh, relative to the, like the level of QB they played. And you could kind of run on them somewhat successfully, but just not break off the big ones. It's almost like exactly the opposite. Uh, has that been an emphasis this spring as far as just not allowing it like, like a huge bomb? Yeah, I, I think so. I think that transition from Foster to Justin Hamilton last year or, or in 2019, following 2019, didn't, didn't go according to plan. They never quite got on track in that department. Um, they moved Chamari Connor from his, his essentially an outside linebacker whip role back to safety. Uh, I think, I think partially to take him out of more man-to-man coverage in the slot. Um, Dorian Strong, I mentioned him earlier, and Armani, Armani Chapman are the starting corners. They're Strong's a junior, basically been a starter since he stepped on campus. Chapman's a fifth year. Uh, I think he's technically a redshirt junior now. Um, so they got experience there and they feel pretty good about it. Uh, and, and I do think you'll see a little more zone almost to, to kind of to limit those big plays. Doug, I, I can't help but look at this and think the schedule uh, sets up fairly well for, for Virginia Tech this year. I mean, they, they Old Dominion, BC, Wofford, West Virginia to, to start. Uh, a three and one start there is, is not inconceivable and, and maybe even probable. Uh, the middle is kind of tough with you know, UNC, Pitt, Miami, NC State, but the finish is uh, is particularly nice, I, I think. Uh, Georgia Tech, Duke, Liberty, UVA. I mean, this team could be just a. I mean, they were seventieth last year in efficiency. If they get to that like fifty five, you know, forty five range, they could go like eight and four. It, it's not out of the question, I guess. Yeah, it's I guess one of the perks of being in the coastal, right? Um... Uh, you know, nobody's going to take that ODU game lightly at Virginia Tech after what happened there in 2018. Um, but yeah, I think I think three and one certainly is possible. That's a big Thursday nighter against West Virginia. That middle of the road stretch there where they go Carolina, Pitt, Miami, and then I think that's a Thursday nighter at at NC State. That's probably going to you know decide which way the season goes. But this also feels like a schedule that sets up for a a team that's going to be probably better at the end of the season than they are, you know, in the first couple games of the Brent Pryor. And who knows what Georgia Tech, Duke, and UVA, you know, have this year. But that that feels like it sets up for, for a strong finish. No doubt about it. Doug, really enjoyed having you on here. Uh, I'm excited to read more of your coverage of VT Scoop. And I know our listeners are really excited uh, to watch and, and listen to this episode. Everybody go to VT Scoop, check out what Doug has to offer there. And we will be continuing to read and have you back on for the uh, the season preview. Great. Thanks, bud. No doubt. Hey, guys. I'm Bud Elliott. And welcome back into the Cover 3 College Ball Podcast. This is a continuation of our summer school series. And today, we're going to talk Wake Forest, uh, the Demon Deacons. Excellent year last year. And to help us do that, we're going to talk to Les Johns of Demon Deacon Digest. Les, welcome back to the show. Hey, glad to be on, bud. Hope you're doing well. I'm doing well, man. Just look, look, look at the new house. And as we were talking uh, before we hit record, I'm excited to talk a little Wake Forest with you here. Uh, 11 and 3 year. Everybody in, in uh, you know, has to be pretty, pretty happy. Uh, top 40 power rating. So in, in one of the weird teams here where the like the Vegas power ratings didn't totally agree with the overall win-loss record. And they had a little bit of like close game uh, fortune. Uh, I don't I don't really love calling it luck. It's not all luck. Uh but I feel like that's still kind of an interesting split to go 11 and three with the top 40. I think part of it may just be the 
the non-conference schedule where maybe the, the the strength of schedule component for what Vegas does doesn't totally match up. But it, having watched these guys a couple of teams, a couple of times, I, I was pretty impressed, at least offensively. Offensively is probably the key. I mean, there's been uh, significant changes defensively over the offseason. And, you know, it's one of those things that if Wake Forest can get, you know, a competent to mediocre defense to go along with their, you know, potent offense, they're going to be a tough out this coming season and in seasons to come. So uh, kind of fixing and tweaking some things defensively will be the next step in, in Wake Forest uh, football at this point. Let's uh, let's do start on the offensive side of the ball because I, I have a lot of questions about defense. I want to run through the offense with you first. Uh, so Sam Hartman is back. I think any college ball fan, especially an ACC fan, uh, knows he's a really good college quarterback. I was looking ahead to some of the 2023 draft, early, way too early preview stuff. Not that those are super accurate anyway. Uh, not a ton of love there on the NFL side, but he's, guy's a damn good college quarterback. I I feel like like nationally folks may sleep on him a little bit. I think there might be becoming this perception that he's a bit of a system quarterback. You know, Wake Forest plays that RPO offense, and they sling the ball around a lot. Wake Forest has been fortunate to have some really quality receivers in recent years, uh, and, and Ja'Cory Roberson, of course, who will probably be drafted in the coming day. Well, <laughs> yeah, Ja'Cory Roberson. Uh, and, you know, they've got guys that kind of follow behind them, and A.T. Perry, Donovan Green, and Keyshawn Williams. So 2022 is going to be – a pretty spectacular year, I believe, for Sam Hartman. And he should have a chance to kind of quiet some of the folks who, you know, don't necessarily have him up on those draft boards. He's told us in recent interviews that this is his last season at Wake Forest. He he actually has two more seasons of eligibility, but he plans on this being his last season at Wake Forest. So you, you mentioned that Roberson's gone, but A.T. A. Perry is, is a total freak. And Donovan Green coming off injury, correct? We, we loved him a, a, as a recruit, uh, and that was quite the coup for Wake Forest. Um, do you do you think this group takes a step back at all receiver-wise? Oh, not at all. I think it takes okay. a step forward. I mean, yeah, they're going to miss your Corey Roberson, but when you bring in Donovan Green back on the outside, I think that – I don't remember the last time Wake Forest will have had two such great options on the outside as they will with A.T. Perry and Donovan Green. Donovan wasn't a full go for spring camp, but he's like on the verge of being a full go. So he'll be good for fall. Um, and A.T. Perry to Sam Hartman right now, they have such a connection. I've called it a video game cheat code because it's like he can just hit A.T. at any time. They know each other so well. They've played together so long. Uh, A.T. really took it up a step uh, last fall camp right after Donovan Green went down with his injury and really established himself as the alpha in that wide receiver room um, and had a terrific, you know, 2021 campaign. And watching him in spring camp, you know, we're fortunate at Wake Forest that we get to see all the practices. I mean, he's he's not letting up. He's, he's full throttle, uh, and I expect him to have just an incredible 2022 campaign. He kind of has a little bit of that, like, Plaxico Burris thing going on but when, when, when Burris had those really good years, for, you know, for the Giants. It was like just – Six five, a little of that glider action, but all of a sudden he's behind you, and and he, he you know he's, he's guys for the ball well, high points. It, it he's a fun guy to watch. Um, Christian Beal Smith, I thought was one of the more underrated running backs in the conference last year because Wake does run that, uh, how do we say, it? extended mesh point. Uh, they they if if you guys don't watch Wake Forest at home, they they hold the mesh point for 
one Mississippi, two Mississippi at time. It's not a it's not a quick decision. Or it even gets the three really Mississippis at times, bud. <laughs> it's crazy. It, it's uh, well, if you guys watched the national CBS game, Florida Alabama last year for the two point play, Florida tried it uh, against Bama when they had a chance to time in the swamp. It didn't actually uh, work. But I thought his patience and like not every running back can can do that, you know. And I, I thought he was really good. What what are they looking like without him now? I think it's probably there's some there's some question marks, but there's some answers too. Like the answers is like last year is a three man split at running back between him, Justice Ellison, and and uh, Christian Turner. So those two guys return, so you get back roughly sixty percent of the production. But what you kind of miss is that leadership, and you miss the pass blocking as well, and you just miss that experience in the room. Christian Beal Smith was a guy that had towed the staff, you know, throughout the season. The last year was his last year. And then at the last minute decided he wanted to come back. And by that time, there just weren't any spots remaining. So, you know, now he's in South Carolina. And, you know, I think everybody, you know, wishes him well. And I think he could have a big year if he's the feature back there. So Wake has two guys they can kind of count on. Both of them need to grow in certain areas, especially in the pass blocking game. And then there's a question mark, do they find a third? And, you know, there is a good competition for that. Quentin Cooley showed some things in the spring. Um, and then there's always a chance DeMond Claiborne, the incoming freshman for Virginia, could get a chance to play as well. Will Towns did some good things in spring camp. So there's a trio of guys who will be in the mix to kind of join those two guys. And then, of course, there always will be injuries as well. And the question will be, will they have the depth there at running back to account for that now with Christian Beal Smith gone? Les, uh, speaking of depth, uh, I look at, at the snap count chart from last year, and unless this is not updated, only one guy on the offensive line uh, of any consequence uh, is is truly gone. It, it looks like the the rare deep group of offensive linemen. I've been doing quite a few of these uh, summer school series. Almost everybody's like, oh, they barely had any offensive linemen available to practice this spring, or they want offensive linemen in the portal. Uh Wake looks – I'm not sure how talented all these guys are, but the snap count returning is, is really probably the highest I've seen here, and I've done about 40 of these episodes so far. You could argue they have five stars returning because J.V. Ante Nash was slated to be a starter last year. but That's then right, preseason. Missed. Yeah. So they, they lost J.V. Ante Nash and Donovan Green. Both of them were announced, I think, during ACC Media Day, and they were considered to be – pretty significant losses for the Deeks. Um, so losing Zach Tom, you know, is huge. You know, he's going to go in the first couple of days of the NFL draft. You know, uh, fantastic guy on that line. But they do have five returning starters, like you said. They've got a lot of experience. The question will be, you know, if one of them goes down, where does the depth come from? And then the bigger question is not something to look at for 2022. We've got all these guys with all these accumulated snaps is what happens in 2023, you know, because there's not liable to be many folks back after this. So uh, this is a year to kind of capitalize, I guess. No doubt about it. All right. So that was a really fun conversation for Wake fans. Uh, top 10 <laughs> offense. Now, now we got to talk about a 90-second rated defense. Um, let's start with the with the coaching changes. What, what, did, what did Wake do and what are they hoping to accomplish? Well, I think when you look at 92nd ranked defense, there's a couple things to take into account. There's certain things you can't look at Wake Forest in terms of how you judge their defense because Wake runs at such a rapid pace. 
you know, the defense is going to be on the field more often than other defenses. So they're going to give up more yards. They're probably going to give up more points. But they still, taking all that aside, they, they weren't a great defense regardless, right? I mean, we can face facts. Um, Brad Lambert, uh, a guy who was at Wake Forest as defensive coordinator uh, under the previous administration, comes back. He brings in with him James Adams from Purdue to run the safeties. And then you've got uh, Spencer, Glenn Spencer, taking over at linebacker. You look at the back end of the defense, that was the area in which they probably needed the most help. And they're addressing that in coaching changes and in bringing guys in from the portal as well. So um, Lambert's talked a lot about being more aggressive, uh, forcing the action a little bit more up front. The defensive line on paper looks to be a strength for this group of Deeks. You know, uh, in spring camp, they got after the offensive line quite a bit. Um, they definitely had their days where they won. They won the day in spring camp, and they won it up front. And when you win it up front, then you can force mistakes, and the back end can make plays. So I think that's what they're wanting to do: is they're wanting to dictate, be more aggressive. They're, they're talking about forcing more turnovers, which is interesting because Wake already forced a lot of turnovers. So, um, but that's the mantra they're speaking right now. Let, let me get out my uh, off-season college ball bingo card and, and uh, mark off uh, force more turnovers here. Oh yeah, um, I mean absolutely. Th- this is why I love doing these series though, because just you know, on a service level, l- looking at the defensive line, you know, they, they lose Fox, they lose Dion, they lose Kamara up front, and not those guys were necessarily studs, but they did play uh, a decent number of the snaps for, for the Deeks up front last year. Uh, and and you think it'll be a, an improved defensive line? And I think that that's a real value of this series is getting to you know pick the brains of these guys who see these teams in spring ball and and see them every day, like yourself. Um, linebackers should be improved, I would I would think. I mean they, they get both guys back, but it was also at times last year a bit a bit of a liability. Yeah, I think I think the belief there is that they needed a change at coach there, and Glenn Spencer brings a lot of experience to that linebacker room. And you talk about the two guys coming back. I, I don't think there's many question marks about Chase Jones and Ryan Spinda. It's just who relieves them to where they don't play, you know, 90 snaps a game. Because you can't really be on the field for 90 snaps a game for 12 to 15 games in the season and hold up physically, you know, for Wake Forest. So they, they need to find, you know, number three, number four, number five in that linebacker room. Uh, Dylan Hazen showed some things in camp. Um, uh, Quincy Bryant showed some promise. But they really, you know, don't have, aside from those top two, there's not proven depth yet in that linebacker room. Uh, you know, they may probably look in the portal to bring a guy in there. Uh, let less speaking of the defensive backs, you, you noted that they they went out and, and they got some new coaching help, but they also got uh, some transfer portal help. I I see Brendan Harris obviously coming over from Vanderbilt. Is that the guy you referenced there, or is there more that I'm not showing on my sheet? No, no, Brendan Harris is the one I'm referencing. Linebacker, there's actually someone okay. on campus right now as we speak. So you know, obviously can't talk about him because who knows what happens there. But uh, sure. the, the, the defensive back is Brendan Harris, who I think is going to – I mean, you, you might have watched him play before. I think he can contribute to this Wake Forest defense. Malik Mustafa missed spring camp, but I think he's, he's he looks excellent. He's supposed to be back for the fall. Um, he looks fantastic. Uh, J.J. Roberts, Gavin Holmes, they've got some guys on the back end who can make some plays. So uh, they're going to miss Travion Red for sure. 
uh, Nasir Greer for sure. But I think uh, I think in the back end is going to be going to be a big improvement. How much of this unit's defensive struggles last year was just continuity based on injuries week to week? I remember there were some games that I had marked down on my sheet. Just they're down to bare bones. I mean, that's a lot of it for sure. I mean, when when all of a sudden you're playing your you know third, fourth, fifth string you know safety, and you're you're counting on them to go the full game against a team like North Carolina, you know, you're going to wear down. You're going to break down eventually, as we see in that game where he gave up a 21-point 20, lead in the second half. Um, but, yeah, injuries accounted for a lot of it. Uh, and, you know, that's been, that's been kind of a Wake Forest bugaboo over the last three to five seasons is they've had the first, first and second string to be pretty solid, but do they have the depth? to withstand the full 12 to 15 game season. And if they can kind of get over that hurdle and get that depth, then they'll, they'll, they'll be, you know, right there as a contender each year, I believe. To uh, to your point there, uh, I, I have it as nine guys having played 250 plus snaps in the secondary last year. And that's, that, that's quite a few. Uh, it, it just You figure guys, you know, just new coaching and, and a little more continuity from week to week could, could, could pay dividends. I'm, I'm looking for, Okay, I think the offense can be – if they were a top-10 offense last year, opponent adjusted, they can just hold serve there um, <laughs> and get back to maybe like a top-60 defense, not top-92, not top yeah. uh, then they could win like nine and three regular season. is not crazy or, or perhaps even better, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of with you. I think if they get to the middle of the road defensively, that would be probably all they need. To, to be a contender in the ACC Atlantic again. The uh, the, the draw from uh, the other division is somewhat friendly with Duke and uh, who's the other team on an annual basis? Uh, North Carolina. Or yeah. is that the non-con this year? No, it's a conference game this okay, season. It's a non-conference last year. So it's Duke and North Carolina. Uh, UNC's at home this year. Um, I don't have State a special coloring for conference team uh, non-conference game as far as, as far as my Excel sheet coded. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, and the non-con is very ex- uh, extremely friendly. VMI at Vanderbilt and Liberty after they lost Malik Willis. Uh, if Wake doesn't go three and zero there, they're, they're going to be pretty disappointed. I would have to think. Yeah, I, I believe Clark Lee will will get some traction at Vandy and we'll get that program going in the right way. But I don't think it's going to happen by September tenth of twenty twenty two. So I think yeah. Wake should go into Nashville and come away with a win there. And you're right, without Malik Williams, you, you figure Liberty is going to be a different team. And obviously VMI should should be a victory and open tonight. So, you know, Army, you know, without a week to prepare, Wake has typically faced Army coming off a of bye week where they have some extra time to prepare for that triple option. And even with the extra week, we saw it didn't really go very well this last year. So it'll be interesting to see Wake face Army at home this time, but without the extra time to prepare. In fact, coming off going to Gainesville, if I remember, no, and going to Tallahassee, my bad, um, to face Florida State. So um, quick turnaround for the team that's tough to prepare for. So if you're going to stub your toe in any of the non-conference games, I would I would look at that Army game as the one to be kind of concerned about if I'm a Wake fan. Absolutely. Les Johns, Demon Deacon Digest, really appreciate the time, and uh, we'll have to have you back on for our fall preview series. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me on, bud. Appreciate it, Les.
Hey guys, I'm Buddy Elliott, and this is the Cover 3 Podcast Summer School Edition. Today we're going to talk a little Duke Blue Devils, and to help me do that, I'm going to bring on my friend Adam Rowe from the Devil's Den, our 24-7 sports Duke Blue Devils affiliate. What's going on, Adam? Hey, bud. How you doing, man? Doing well. Just uh, grinding through these summer schools. feel like I'm, I'm learning a whole lot about teams, and I know there's a, a lot of new stuff to learn about Duke this year off a, a three and nine season uh, last year and, and a coaching change after a, a great run for David Cutcliffe there. Just, you know, all great runs must come to an end at some point, I guess. Uh, 113th in the Vegas power ratings. So uh, definitely a, a lot of work to be done there. Yeah, there's a lot of change going on in Durham. Obviously, you know, David Cutcliffe had, had, had built out not just, not just the team, not just the roster every year, but a program. Um, you know, he, he had he had resurrected Duke football from the depths of um, of where they were before he took over in 2008. They uh, I think the year before, even that summer, Duke, the university, had won a uh, court case with Louisville, who was suing them for backing out of a contract with them um, because Duke's argument in court, the legal status, was that Duke football was so bad that Louisville could find any opponent in the country to replace them and not suffer any any downgrade in performance. And they won. That's that's pretty amazing. I, I don't know if our younger uh, younger viewers and listeners remember this, but I remember that Florida State uh, used to buy out the road trip to Duke, and Duke, instead of playing a conference home game against the Knowles, would take the check and go play in like Jacksonville or Orlando or Tampa or one of those cities where FSU wanted to go hit up one of its alumni bases in the state. It's something you wish you wouldn't really see in any conference anymore, but it, it just, it really speaks to just how good of a job that the program has done overall and specifically Cutcliffe uh, yeah. of changing things around. Yeah. And Cutcliffe even said when he took the job, you know, that, that it was going to be a lot easier for him to get them from bad to good than it was to get them from good to great. Um, and, and that's, you know, the challenge with any kind of mediocre or, or mid-level power five team or some of the upper echelons of those power six teams to just take that next leap and go from, you know, where Duke was competing for competing for ACC championships in 2013. I mean, I think we both were at that, were at that game in Charlotte at Bank of America Stadium when, when Duke was just outclassed on the football field by Florida State in that game. But they won the Coastal Division. I mean, that was that is an accomplishment that I think should not be looked at lightly and should give hope to Elko and the people that are taking over this football program that it's possible to do that again. Yeah, honestly, that was a little bit of bad luck timing-wise for Duke that they finally break through and win the Coastal and then they go play a team where I think 21 out of 22 starters got drafted, which is just oh, yeah. like well, you really couldn't have worse luck opponent draw-wise. There are other years – in which, like, they could have beat some of those late two thousands Boston College teams for sure. sure. Absolutely. Um, yeah, that that Florida State team, like, I remember when they took the field, it was just like, it was like a different, a, a different level of football. Uh, the talent, the athleticism, the size of the players, and that that's something that you know, Elko hasn't been here long. He took over the program in mid December, but they really focused on building up the strength and the and the the the, the power of the guys that are on the roster now. For sure. Uh, so let's go ahead and start on offense here. I, I'm not really familiar with the new offensive scheme Duke's going to run. If you don't mind us you know, giving us a little bit of rundown of that in terms of what, what they're trying to run, maybe tempo, you know, r run pass preference, stuff like that. 
Yeah, they brought in uh, Elka brought in Kevin Johns from uh, the offensive coordinator from Memphis. Um, he's known for kind of uh, trying to enforce his his style of play on the opponent. Um, everything that Johns has said in 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 the off season and in spring ball has been that they're going to try to play up tempo. Um, you know, every offensive coordinator is going to say that in in spring camp. But uh, I think what John sees with the roster, and 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 maybe even before he saw that, is that when you have a talent disadvantage, if you can put the defense on their heels and keep them guessing, that's where you can kind of even things out. Um, I know Duke has two quarterbacks that they really feel comfortable with. Uh, Riley Leonard is a redshirt sophomore. He's a, he's a big guy, 6'4", uh, can really throw the ball and can really move. Um, he's really athletic, kind of like um, – I mean, he's not – I don't think he's on the level kind of like um, game management-wise as Daniel Jones was when he was a Duke. But he's um, he's got everything, everything that you should look for in a modern-day kind of college quarterback. And then Jordan Moore is is a really really athletic guy that can also throw the ball, but like his first um, instinct is when they're starting to, when the when the pocket starts to collapse around him, he's going to take off, and that guy can move. I, I think they're going to play two quarterbacks at the same time. Um, I think you know Cutcliffe really liked to play uh, spread offense, which worked well when the college game was catching up to the NFL game or vice versa. I mean, there was some back and forth there. It really worked well when defenses were kind of on their heels and, and, and not knowing how to defend a spread as well. Uh, once they got to know that, the defenses in college got to know that, I think he didn't adapt well enough. Um, so you could, you'll probably see something similar, you know, three wide, maybe, maybe two guys in the backfield, but mostly one. Um, I think Cutcliffe relied a little bit more on the tight ends. He had two tight ends usually on the line or one on the line and one in the backfield. I think you're going to probably see more skill position guys, you know, running back some wide receivers in that offense and try to get big hitters. In. Let me, uh, let me ask you about those skill positions then because Jake Bobo is gone and, and so is Mateo Durant. And I feel like if you are, if you're not a Duke fan, or you're just a college football fan or an ACC fan, the, those would kind of be the two names that you would recognize from last year's Duke roster, uh, and now they're they're gone. What what do you think uh, the skill positions are going to look like this year? Yeah, it'll be interesting. Uh, Durant was really, I think, really underrated, and and really, I don't think a lot of casual football fans really know his skill level. I think he's gonna he's gonna make a roster in the NFL. Um, so at running back. Um, they've got a guy named Jalen Coleman who really impressed as a freshman, but tore his ACL. He sat out the last year and a half. And then another guy named Jordan Waters who came in as a true athlete. I mean, he was, uh, there was, there were fights, not like fights, but there were, there was push sure. and pull between the defensive backs coach and the wide receivers coach on who was actually going to get him. He's just like that kind of athletic guy. And he, he filled in for Durant when he was out a little bit last year. He's athletic. He can pound inside and out. Um, and then at the wide receiver position, I think you're going to see a lot of a guy named Eli Pinkle, who has all the attitude and energy that you want to see from a college wide receiver. Um, and maybe he just needed a little bit of um, coaching to dial in, you know, what it means to run a route in college, uh, what it means to, you know, uh, get separation. I think a lot of Duke's offense last year and the year before really suffered on getting separation for the wide receivers. 
Um, so, so I think you're going to see they, they brought in a guy named Zon Burden from Maryland who's a really well-respected um, wide receivers coach, and I think he's, he's really coached up those guys. So you're going to see Eli Penkel, Daryl Harding Jr., Jalen Calhoun is a really excellent slot receiver. He's started every game since he got to Duke. Uh, so I think those those three are going to be like your your big your big target wide receivers. I saw they took uh, Chance Little from from Colorado and then Andre Harris Jr. from Arkansas State. What what's your kind of take on the uh, the offensive line this year? Work in progress. I, I mean, they've they've got some guys that are really impressive. I think they're just trying to figure out where those guys fit. Um, Graham Barton is a, I think a junior now he's, he's filled in at center. He played tackle last year. I think he, you'll see him settle in at, at guard this year. Jacob Monk has played both at tackle and guard. So you're going to see him kind of slide around a little bit. Uh, and then they've got a kid, Brian Foley, that I think is going to, is going to be a competitor at center. Um, I think, like you said, I mean, they're, they're bringing in guys from the transfer portal and they're mostly focused on that offensive line. And I think there's a reason for that. Um, you know, I, I think I think they're looking for answers there. And, that, and that's going to be a big a big place that they're going to look for more more help on the recruiting trail next year. What. uh Does Duke have the same issue that Stanford? Uh, we, we just shot the Stanford edition of summer school a couple of days ago. Do they have the same issue that Stanford does as far as the, the difficulty of getting transfers in due to the academics? It's not as easy as it is in other places. Sure. Um, and these days, you know, it, they're they're suffering a deficit of, of NIL collectives too. I mean, there's not a lot of Duke, Duke alumni that are throwing up a forty thousand dollars to pay <laughs> for a guy to come transfer to play Duke football. Um, I think it, they have to be selective. But uh, the Duke administration um, is more lenient, I think, with the football program than they are with the basketball program just because of sheer numbers. Um, I know that the Duke football academic support staff has a lot of people there to make sure that those guys keep their grades up. I mean, um, nobody's, like, you know, failed out of the school or anything like that, so – they have to be careful with it, but I think they do the right thing. And, and it's a smaller pool of players, but there are guys out there that can find success academically at Duke. For sure. um, you know, one of the things that I think is fun, a little bit on the radar is this last offseason, Duke endowment, the university endowment actually hit big on like three uh, private companies that they invested in that went public. And their endowment went up by like sixty percent or something like that. It's in like up close to like the tenth, tenth highest endowment fund in the nation now. And what the all of the different pieces of the university at the recent board of trustees meetings lobbied the the board of trustees for a little piece of that pie. Uh, just so happened that was right when Nina King was looking to replace David Cutcliffe. Um, Duke's not going to announce what they're paying Elko, but it's over $4 million for his, for his salary. But they also have tripled the support staff. Uh, so you see like recruiting department, marketing department, graphics, like, um, um, 
academic support, like everything you could possibly imagine. They basically have like either doubled or tripled what they were investing before. Um, along with that, they've also have increased the assistant coaching salaries, which you see usually they'll take somebody from like a very low level school as an assistant as a lateral move. Well, they, they've hired some FCS head coaches as assistant coaches. They're on their OL coach, Adam Cushing, was a head coach at the FCF, FCS level last year. Huh. They hired Zon Borden away from Maryland, a lateral move. Like those are, I mean, that those are big moves for a football program like Duke. So, so from what I understand, their assistant coaching pool is in the top third of the ACC now, where it wow. was dead last last year. That is uh, that that's significant change. May, may not pay huge dividends year one, but certainly like you know going forward, that's a pretty big deal. Totally. Uh, so. So they were opponent adjusted last year. I think they were 98th offensively. You you see significant improvement there, just a little bit, hold and serve. Yeah, I mean it's gonna be interesting. You know, Gunnar Holberg was the quarterback there. He was a guy who was had a lot of high expectations um coming into the year. I think he suffered some injuries early in his career and and maybe didn't develop physically like they expected him to. Um, and then obviously the year before they had Chase Price to transfer him from Clemson, and what I understand there just wasn't a fit. He came in right in the middle of the coronavirus, like didn't really get a chance to gel with his teammates. They were sequestered in the hotel for like his first month of being. I mean, it was just like it was a and total. Duke, Duke took that stuff seriously too. I'm pretty sure. Like some of these oh, schools, I think had a little more secret practices than others did. I'm, I'm guessing Duke had very little. None. Yeah, I mean, they were like literally in their rooms until they tested negative for COVID. And that was back in the day when it took two weeks to get a test back, you know. Um, like, it just, they, you talk to some people at Duke and they think they took it a little bit too seriously until they didn't, you know, with the whole basketball season getting canceled in the tournament. Um, but yeah, it was a different atmosphere at Duke for sure. Uh, granted, they were staying in a, very exquisite resort <laughs> across the street from the campus. So it wasn't all horrible, but yeah, I think it really hindered their football program, especially at the state where it was with Cutcliffe. It was a developmental program. Can't For develop sure. the guys in the off season. You're going to suffer bad. Let's, let's switch over to the defense here quickly. Um, last year, 118th in defense, uh, probably the worst power five defense out there. There's a couple that, that may, may argue with you, but certainly uh, one of the the worst power five defenses out there. Um, defensive line, they lose Smith, they lose Fry. I feel like they should be okay. Am I wrong there? Yeah. I, I don't think they're going to take too big of a step back. I think Fry was undersized. He was just like the guy that they needed uh, to, to provide that upper leadership, upper level leadership. Dwayne Carter is just the guy on that defensive line. He's like the captain of the defense. He's leading – Things like um, back, like vice president. I mean, does like a little bit of everything. He's got like that personality that you need from a leader. Um, I think that's something they're they're struggling with too to find. I think they're looking very good on a few guys, but yeah, I mean, Dwayne Carter. Um, you know, they're looking at uh, R.J. Oban is a really uh, promising guy that they have a lot of. A lot of faith in they get Jamie on Franklin back. He's a redshirt senior. I think he's a six-year guy. He was at uh, Notre Dame at one point. Um, 
Um, and then you're looking at probably like Aeneas Peebles um, and Caleb Oppen are going to be the, those next kind of next level guys that are going to fill in there. They've got depth. They just need to develop it. For sure. I, I assume linebacker will, will, will be just fine. So let, let's move here to uh, to the secondary. And Adam, I, I, uh, I got to say, this is a little bit scary. So they had, first of all, they had nine guys play 300 plus snaps last year in the secondary, which suggests to me they had some injury issues, but seven of those nine are gone. And I've, I've done upwards of 40 of these preview episodes now, and I really don't think I've seen anybody lose seven of their nine guys who played 300 snaps in the secondary. It's kind of unheard of, uh, at least of the ones I've done so far. What is this as, as dire as it looks on my spreadsheet? It's going to be tough. I think that's going to be another place. I, I think they're looking at probably another five guys in the portal. So I think you could probably see one more offensive lineman, maybe a couple more defensive linemen, and, and one or two more more defensive backs. Uh, they've got a guy named Darius Joyner that they just recently brought in for an official visit. Um, he was a FCS uh, first team All American. Um, I can see him jumping in starting right away. Um, the 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 guy that's back now with the most experience on the team, which again, as you said is a little bit scary is probably Tony Davis, who's a redshirt junior, and he's barely pay, played at all. Uh, but I think you're going to see him starting um, next year. It, it's slim pickings, to be honest with you. Chandler Rivers is a, is a freshman guy. He was an early enrollee that they're really excited about. He's from, um, from Beaumont, Texas. Um, Jalen Stinson is a, is a shorter defensive back, but he's really quick. Um, from Opelika, Alabama. I mean, I, I think you're going to see a rotating cast of characters back there. At least the, the schedule starts out friendly uh, with, yeah. you know, with with respect to opponent passers. I mean, I'm not – obviously, at some point, you got to play some of the better quarterbacks in the ACC, and, and they're they're on the schedule. But if, if you look at the, you know, the, the start of this thing, at least, I mean, Temple last year had one of the worst passing offenses I've ever seen. Uh, mm-hmm. Northwestern – Probably the worst at passing in the Power Five, North Carolina and T and Kansas. So, like, there's a. I don't know. Duke will start four and zero. They can start two and two, or you know, three and one, one and three. But at least, if you're breaking in a ridiculously new secondary, I feel like you could not ask for a better September to do it against. Realistically, yeah, you could do worse. And and again, you know, you've got Mike Elko coming in. I mean, he's he's seen it all on the defensive side. He, he's he's coached. He was a defensive coordinator at Wake Forest when they were really rebuilding that program when he came in. I mean, they did did not have a whole lot of talent there at all. Um, and I thought what he did with that squad, he really overachieved. And then obviously he jumped to Notre Dame, Texas A&M. That's a different level of football, different level of player, different level of athlete. Uh, but I think he can bring some of that over to this to this team to this roster and hopefully motivate those guys they've duke has always played a four two five but i'd be interested it'd be interesting to see if they kind of switch that scheme up this year um find a way to put that together yeah shake it up a little bit um and have less of a a dime look at all and all (laughs) That base dime. I mean, you need five, five really solid defensive backs to be able to play that. And what did you say they have? Uh, they counted them up. 
So they had nine guys who played 300 snaps last year in the secondary, and seven are gone. Yeah, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if they shake that a little bit. Uh, that, Rob that might Smith, not be a bad thing to shake up. Right. Rob yeah. Smith was at Rutgers, I think, last year. Um, Chiano guy. Yeah, Chiano guy. Uh, I know Elko is really fond of him. Um, yeah, it's it's going to be interesting. I, I, I know last year I did one of these, and I think the most exciting thing you're looking for to do football was to see how many turnovers they would have. And like this year, it's like you know, it's just an open book. Like you got yeah. nothing to lose, right? No so, doubt about. I'm excited. I'm excited to see them compete. Um, as you said, you know, those four non-conference games. None of them are going to be too exciting. I don't think either way. Uh, Duke Kansas isn't really setting off any uh, DVR <laughs> <laughs> alerts on anybody's TV. Uh, but yeah, if you're watching I mean, that, I mean, they should just have a scroll. Like, do you have a gambling issue? Like, that's your <laughs> scroll across the bottom. Right. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. So. No. Oh yeah, gosh. It'll be, All right. It'll well, be hey, to, it'll be fun to watch for sure. No, no doubt about it, man. Adam, Adam Rowe, make sure you check out everything there at Devil's Den, and I uh, really appreciate the time, man. We'll have to have you back on for for fall preview. Sounds good. All right. Take care. Hey, y'all, Bud Elliott here, and this is College Fall Summer School on the Cover 3 Podcast. And today, we're talking Little Virginia, and to help me do that, I'm going to bring in Jackie Franchuli of Wahoos 24-7. Jackie, welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me, Bud. I'm, I'm, I'm excited to talk a little UVA. It's a team that I, I uh, my, my initial kind of off-season research, I'm, I, I'm not real high on it, and I, I suspect maybe there's some areas of the team that I should be a little higher on, and, and maybe there's some spots where... Uh, Maybe there's some real cause for concern, but off a, uh, a season which I, they were very entertaining to watch, probably frustrating at times, but also exhilarating. Uh, 55th nationally in sort of the the blending of most of the national power ratings. Uh, what what's the mood there now that Broncos out and, and Tony Elliott is in as the new as the new coach? Uh, there's an excitement around the program and, and a little more hype around it. So. When we were at the spring game, you know, UVA spring game will, will not bring in those 70,000, 50,000 people that you see in the SEC or in the Big Ten, like, for example, Penn State spring game. But they had a very decent crowd for a UVA spring game. They also had a lot of football alumni come back. They had, you know, Anthony Harris, Daquan Romero, Terry Kirby. Um, and that's different. Uh, the football alumni have really embraced Tony Elliott, and the fans have started to embrace Tony Elliott. And then the players have also tr- started to kind of buy in over the course of the last weeks of spring. And I think there's a little anticipation around the program. Yes, we're going to talk about there's going to be there's problems on the depth chart as far as they need numbers in certain positions. But at least mentally, there's excitement there. there there's hope for the future of the UVA program because of everything that's going around behind the scenes about getting the facilities, getting breaking that ground in the next couple of weeks, according to Carla Williams on the spring game broadcast. So it's moving forward in that regard. So the people are excited about the direction of the program. No doubt about it. Um, so let, let's go ahead and talk offense first here. Last year, this offense was just dynamite. I'm not really sure, uh, in, unless you're a, a better or uh, somebody really follows the ACC closely, if if people realize just how good this thing was, but I, I had it as the seventh best offense in the country, um, which is pretty nuts. And Brennan Armstrong returns at QB after, I think there was what some worry that he might 
hit the portal, I guess, or uh, or, or explore the pros. But he he's back, uh, which is a major win for UVA. Oh, for sure. Yeah, it's unbelievable. This team was six and six with this type of offense. It, this offense was a, a, a joy to watch. Um, Brennan Armstrong is such a different breed of quarterback when you cover him. Uh, his high school coach told me that he's actually a safety in a quarterback position just because of his mentality. He was he's he's not scared to kind of lower down his shoulder and take a hit or give a tackle himself. Um, and it was just a fun offense to watch. They have a plethora of wide receivers. It's unbelievable the talent they have at that position. And obviously you have Jelani Woods, who was in a great tight end, a, a great target because he's six foot seven. What a target to have if you're Brennan Armstrong. So yeah, it was it was a fun offense to cover. And a lot of those big skill playmakers are back. Um, you've got Dontavian Wicks, you've got Lavelle Davis, who's back after an ACL injury, who had a great breakout first year for UVA before he had his injury. You also got Keaton Thompson, who, like Brendan Armstrong, decided to come back. Armstrong said he never was was tempted about entering a transfer portal. The only thing he was waiting was for the NFL guys to get back his grade. And then he decided to come back one more year. And I think that was Tony Elliott's biggest recruiting win, in all honesty, yeah. during that period was getting him back on grounds. Um, so they return a lot of skill player on offense. Obviously, and we're going to talk about deeper about this. Obviously, the question mark is the O-line moving forward because that O-line last year, a lot of them played at UVA for four or five years. That was an O-line that Coach 2J built from the scraps that he was given when Bronco Mendenhall arrived on, on grounds all those years ago. And now they're kind of starting from scratch in that you know, he said he's he's fixing it, as he said it during spring. So that is the biggest question marks when you when you look at this offense moving forward. And also, you know, if you watched the offense last year, they had no run game. Their run game was called Brennan Armstrong. Uh, he was the leading ball carrier the last two seasons. So that's something that Tony Elliott and company want to change as well. For sure. Yeah, I I, it, I really loved watching the offense last year. I, I thought just conceptually it, it it utilized all the space on the field really well they, they certainly were not good at running it they would just sort of hand it off often enough to where you had to respect the play action uh just just a little bit uh, I, I am curious so all six offensive linemen who played over 100 snaps last year i think are gone uh, several of them are transferred to uh, other power five programs i believe right and one i think that's i correct. saw to, to ucf um, i mean to me that's that could, in theory, create a major challenge to, to operate the offense anywhere close to what you did last year as far as how they ran it, because they, they did go with a lot of you know five- and six-man protections, uh, trusting that offensive line to give Armstrong just enough time to to get it off. Uh, has, has Tony Elliott and, and his OC, have they discussed how this offense will, will operate differently? So they were kind of saying that they wanted a more balanced offense. That was something they said. They don't just don't want to, you know, fire the ball going to complete air raid like the other off. Because if you look at the offense last season, pass, the passing game was their forte. That's what they go after. Um, according to Elliott and Coach Kitchings, what they want is more balanced offense, balanced offense so they can be more complementary because they want to sustain drives. You know, last year a drive could last for a minute. They want to make sure that sometimes they give their defense a chance to recuperate of being on the field, not having them on the field as much, which at points last year, you could see they were gassed. They had other problems, don't get me wrong, but they also were on the field a lot. 
So they want to make sure they're more balanced approach. Now, the as far as the O-line, we still have questions about the O-line because unfortunately for UVA, at point at points this spring, they only had eight healthy offensive linemen. During the Including spring, like walk-ons? Yes, they only had eight wow, healthy okay. offensive linemen. And when they they were playing during the spring game, there was a couple that played for both teams. So they were in the middle of the game. They would go out, change, put in a white penny or a, black, a blue penny, and then go back on the field. So we don't really know what the offensive line is going to look like because of all the injuries. We had a few of them, like Derek Devine, Logan Taylor. Those guys didn't participate in the spring game, but those guys should be really participating in the fall as far as, you know, one and two rotations. And obviously they're going to get, you know, John Paul Flores. He's going to be coming in from a grand transfer from Dartmouth. Uh, he wasn't able to participate in spring. And obviously, there's still the transfer portal. So we expect them to add one or two more guys on that line. But that's still a question mark, how much time you get them to gel together so they can work on timing, work on communication. So that is a big question. So what we saw, too, is them utilizing the tight end, Grant Mish, a little bit more um, more as the blocker rather than a pass catcher tight end. And I think that's what you're going to see. You know, if you looked at game film from last year, Grant Mish was such a big key to some of their success on offense. If you see some of the big runs that Brendan Armstrong was able to get to, it's because of a Mish block. Or sometimes when you wanted to have a little extra time in the passing game, that was also Grant Mish. Grant Mish was a, part, was a big part of why Armstrong also had some time. So I would be shocked if he's not utilized more so in that role also come the fall too. So that is the biggest thing is the O-line as far as this offense moving forward. And I think a lot of their plans are going to rely on that. You, if They, they still don't know how many numbers. Right now they have 77 scholarship players, I want to say, in addition to the guys who are expected to arrive on summer. So they still have eight spots available that they could play around with in the portal. Um, and I, I can't imagine that they're not going to go after possibly a couple of linemen and also a tight end in that group and a running back as well. I, I feel like uh, a, a drop-off for the offense in, in total is is almost assured. The question is more just the, the size of the drop-off. But then also, also the, there are two sides of the ball. Uh, and right. if UVA's offense drops off, uh, if it wants to get back to a bowl game, uh, its defense will have to play much better than last year. And last year, I had them 104th. Uh, so that's pretty bad for an, an ACC team. Typically, we only see like Duke in, the, in that territory, and that's not even every year. Uh, but I also, in, in my notes from last year, uh, I had a lot of injury stars on them down the stretch. I, I felt like UVA lost some some key guys down the stretch, and I, I'm curious here. There's quite a bit of turnover on the defense, and, and I don't mean this in, in a, a flippant way, but so they lose five of their top eight by snap count on the defensive line three of their top five by snap count on the, that linebacker, and three of their top four at defensive back, unless I'm, I'm mistaken there. Uh, a, that does seem like a lot, but on a defense that was rated 100th, does that actually matter? Like, were, were those guys any good? And if no, I guess, why were they playing over the folks that were going to project to be better this year? You know what I'm saying? Like, they were getting the snaps, but right. they weren't performing. <laughs> yes. Um, that is a question that we've had a lot is why we didn't see some of the young playmakers uh, get more snap counts. Um, and some of the guys actually did play injured last year as well. Joy Blunt played injured for most of that season. Um, so you can explain a couple of the missed tackles that he had was because he was injured for most of the year. But UVA la last year's defense 
just they just couldn't fit the new scheme that they wanted to run. Basically, the coaches decided that they wanted to switch and they didn't have the personnel for that switch. And that's where all those problems happen. So this year, they're going to have a three-man front. Sometimes before, they have a position bandit where they have an outside landmark on the outside. Um, they have three safeties most of the time lining up. So the scheme is different. And what I like about this new scheme, which Coach Rudd has also said, was it's going to be simplified. Uh, he joked that when you communicate with your wife, you don't want to overcomplicate things. You want things in a streamlined manner. And that's what he said about this defense. He wants to make sure it's communicated in a simple manner so that there's no reaction time delay. Because that's what I saw last year. Sometimes I felt like guys were not in the right spot because they weren't reacting. They had to think about where should I go? While in the spring game, you saw that like they were naturally going to that right position, which is a great thing to see on this UVA defense. The other thing is their tackling was much better. When I saw a couple of spring practices that was open to the media, that was their main focus. They had a lot of tackling drills. They went back to the basics, a lot of fundamentals. Um, and a lot of the guys that have on this depth chart right now are guys that we we had heard through the grapevine, through our sources, that were doing well in practice last fall. We knew that some of these guys just need a little bit more reps out in the field. So Jameer Carter, for instance, he's one that has really grown on the defensive line. Um, he's done a, you know, we've heard his workouts have been great. Watching him, he's got better hands than he did last year. Then Thalmui, his lead, he's becoming a better leader up front as well. Sue is another guy who's coming up in the defensive line. Chico Bennett was injured last year. So he's going to be a good guy at linebacker. And when you look at that linebacker room, that was one room in particular that Coach Papinga last year for Bronco Mendenhall in the course of his career at UVA did well recruiting depth-wise. They got a lot of guys with a lot of talent. You know, they recruited Stevie Bracey, who's going to be a first year. He actually just went through spring. Um, they have, you know, Mike Green, he's another guy. So what I like about this, this staff and what they've done is a guy like Deshaun Perry, who was kind of buried in that linebacker room, because he's not a guy who's good at space. He's more of a guy who's better in the outside. They moved him to the outside. And during that spring game, we saw him get a sack and got him to our quarterback hurry. So they're seeing these guys and saying, you're, you're a versatile playmaker. Why are we going to put you in a position where obviously it doesn't fit you? We're going to move you to this position. And that's what they're playing around this spring. And I think at defensive back too, they have a couple number of athletes. When you Because they're playing with three safeties, I think they need to look at the transfer portal because I think they're going to have some depth concerns if they don't. Um, I think the problem that this staff had is a lot of them came in so late in the process. You know, Coach Cox, their DB coach and their passing game, uh, defensive passing game coordinator, got in the last weekend during re the recruiting contact period. He couldn't see guys. He couldn't evaluate players. So this spring evaluation period and with this guys coming in the transfer portal, that's where we're going to see more movement. But I think just looking at him, it's really hard to tell during a spring game when you only had eight healthy offensive linemen, how good this defense was compared to how poor the line was. But be, you can kind of grasp a little bit that you saw fundamentally that they were a little bit better. And the guys that are on this roster are talented. Um, so it's about to see how this over this more simplified defense, how how it's going to work come the fall and it seems everything's trending towards the right direction which is what you're hoped for with that offense like you said might have a little bit of a drop off so you're hoping the first two three games this defense can carry this offense for a little bit no doubt about it jackie franchuli 
Wahoos 24-7. Really appreciate the time today. I feel like we learned a whole lot about UVA. We'll be looking to see just how big of a jump this defense can make, what, what else they'll do in the transfer portal. And uh, if Brendan Armstrong can continue to carry this offense with that plethora of receivers as they try to re rebuild the O-line on the fly. I appreciate it, and we'll have you back in the fall. Thanks for having me, bud. All right, that's the bell. Cover 3 College Football Summer School is over for today. But don't worry. We'll be back soon with even more episodes filling you in on the top teams in college football. Please give us those five-star reviews on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Follow us on YouTube and on Twitter at Cover 3 Podcast. And we'll see you all soon.